This is the Strathclyde Telegraph podcast. Produced by students at Strathclyde University. Okay, so Liam, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, um, so my name is Liam McCabe um, and I am currently the president of the National Union of Students in Scotland. Awesome. So last year you were VPVD on campus. For the last two years, 2016-18. Yeah, I so I did you remember that? Oh no, the last two years I was the first um, vice president volunteering development or vice president activities and development, which was the role which you know came before that, mm-hmm. um, to serve two consecutive terms um, for in anyone's recent memory. Anyway, yeah. it was usually a, a role that people would kind of you know run for. They would do one year and then they would. I thought that the, I thing. thought it was like a sort of like a president can only have two terms. I thought that like like one of the spec officers can only have one term. I didn't realize you. Do it for two years and you can stand for two years. Yeah, um, so if you're a sabbatical, if you're an officer, um, you can stand for election for one year. Um, this is not kind of like an overriding statement about every student's association or student union. No. It's just the way some of them work. Yeah. Um, but most of them are usually like this. Um, you will usually be able to kind of run for the first year um, in any position and then run in the second year for that same position or any other position. Usually what would happen is you would either run to be president and then do that for two years or run to be a vice president and do that for two years or you would run to be a vice president and then try and go for president in your second year of being a sabbatical officer. Um, you know, there's a re- some people will do it for that reason. Other people um, will kind of choose not to run for president because they like the remit and they enjoy what they do. And that's why I chose to run for a second year as VPVD because I would have missed my club and societies too much. <laughs> like you guys, the Telegraph. Oh, yeah. I'm allowed yeah. to say now because I don't have any obligation or device, we're absolutely one of my favourite societies. Ah, <gasps> oh, thanks, Liam. <laughs> See, that's that's right. okay. I'm glad someone thinks that. <laughs> Butter up the host straight away. That's <laughs> leniency shall be granted. <laughs> I uh, obviously at the moment you're uh, NUS president for Scotland, mm-hmm. so you're around the whole of Scotland, around the whole UK, I guess. Yes, I am. Uh, what's it like coming? <laughs> For my sins, I am. What's it like coming back to Strathclyde and like being in uh, level fourteen of the Livingston Tower? Does this like bring back memories? Obviously, you're still here quite a bit, but not as much mm-hmm. as you were last year or the year before. Oh yeah, like or when, when you were a student. So yeah, being on campus every day um, was was great, you know. Um, um, and don't get me wrong, I absolutely love the job I'm doing now. It's it's an incredible honour. There is over half a million students in Scotland and only one of them gets to represent all of them at any one given time. Um, and it's not, so it's, I recognise how lucky I am to be in the position um, and I do feel kind of the weight of responsibility on my shoulders all the time. Um, and it keeps me humble and it keeps me sensible and it um, makes sure that I'm kind of working hard. But I would be lying if I said I didn't miss the many aspects of being a campus-based officer, of being vice president of volunteering development at the University of Strathclyde a great deal. Um, I would be, like I said, I'd be lying if I said that. Um, there's just so many elements of that job which just aren't present in the one that I now have, um, which were incredibly fulfilling and they made every day different. Um, and just kind of being this close to students on campus and actually being able to kind of help deal with their issues there and then when they came into your office with whatever problem it might have been um, or at least kind of turn over the problem quite quickly was quite a rewarding process when you're in US Scotland president unfortunately the problems that students face on the level that I am dealing with them anyway you don't really turn them over very quickly at all and you're lucky if you're actually able to turn over any of them even if you do manage to get two years um, in the job so it's um, I do miss that element of being able to engage with students and help solve their problems I just also miss the institution as well because it's a great unit you know I'm interested to know what your week's like how 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 often are you traveling mm-hmm. how, how what's it like 
to give an imprecise answer I suppose is actually quite difficult to quantify what a week is like yeah. um, to answer the initial question my office is um, in a place called in a small street called Paper Mill Wind which is just off of Leith Walk in Edinburgh um, so if you come out of you know Waverley Station and then head kind of northeastish down towards um, down towards Leith then we're down that direction um, sometimes I'll be in the office for quite a great period of time during the week there'll be some weeks for example where I'll be travelling through maybe three or four days out of the week and we'll have no external engagements and then there will be other weeks of, of, the, of the year where I will be um, never in the office at all um, I'll be kind of in Glasgow for this thing then up in Dundee for that thing then down in Galashiels to go and visit that student association for that event they're running um, or I'll be in Stirling for this meeting with this sector stakeholder or kind of you know key ally um, you know in our relations with government and all that kind of stuff so it's quite difficult to determine what a week can be the only word the only way I can describe what a week in my life is like at the moment is um, hmm <laughs> unpredictable let's Un- just go for that it's a d- difficult to predict where it'll be or what I'll be doing so I just kind of you know fill up my calendar with as much you know f- far enough in advance as I possibly can but it's kind of you know to the whims of the gods at that point or the whims of the sector and the whims of student unions and the whims of staff and the whims of many many other people what sort of influence does the NUS have at Strathclyde sure um, so First of all, what I would like to kind of assert is just like a little bit about the structural stuff about how NUS works. Um, basically, um, when that people are asking what is NUS and what does it do, um, my kind of most simple kind of description that I give is basically sabbatical officers in a given student union on a campus of a university or a college or a small specialist institution already have their hands full with, you know, dealing with student activities, student welfare, running campaigns, all that kind of stuff. Um, for them to then also take the time as part of that to try and build up the necessary relationships at the national level to lobby government effectively and affect kind of change at the policy level is just too much. So basically what I will describe NUS as at the time is almost being like all the students associations or all those who wish to be involved kind of delegating responsibility to NUS and then giving some money over to us in the form of affiliation fees in order that they can basically pay for a dedicated staff team and dedicated national level officers who spend their entire time based or the vast majority of their time anyway um, lobbying the government building up those relationships with key stakeholders like University Scotland and Colleges Scotland and the Scottish Funding Council and all these various other entities and working at that level with them to kind of do that job and how we act at the national level it's not as if you just kind of you know NUS was kind of you know NUS Scotland was kind of set up and established in the 70s um, and then people have just thrown money at us ever since and then we just go away and do whatever we like and um, everything that we do is set out annually in our plan of work which determines what kind of campaigns are going to be undertaking and that's made up of a combination of policy passed at national conference policy passed at our liberation conferences and the particular manifesto commitments of the full-time officers who had garnered a mandate um, through the democratic process to pursue those things. Um, And so once we've got the plan of work in place, that plan of work is determined based on those three factors um, by the democratic inputs of our membership through one avenue or another. And so we are delegated responsibility by our member associations to go and speak to government and lobby for and campaign for change at the national level on their behalf um, and do so in a manner which is directed by their input through our various different um, avenues for that. Obviously when you were at Strathclyde Union Mm -hmm. you had you were you were very hands-on you had a lot of um, a lot of power to make changes for students on the spot Mm-hmm. Do you feel like in your new role you still have that ability or do you find it quite frustrating 
in the sense that there's stuff that you want to do that you get so far with and then you're no longer able to proceed with it or uh, or things that you envision that you could do that are just too big to possibly be done there's a, there's a little bit of all the things that you just said there actually um, and I would say it can be frustrating at times um, I keep saying to you know every member that I meet and by member I talk about our students associations I take the broader view that our members are students but if you look at the actual kind of writ of our constitution and our terms of references etc it's like our members are actually the students associations like, like Strathclyde yeah. Students Union like the student association of the University of the West of Scotland um, and so when I talk about members I oftentimes will mean their sabbatical officers their presidents their vice presidents etc and whenever I kind of bump into them I will often say please for the love of God invite me to stuff and um, just like invite invite me to anything you know um, because um, I can't just you know kind of walk onto someone's campus um, and I, I never would for example I called up um, Rachel Simpson the president at GCU student association yesterday because I was going to the City of Glasgow College graduation ceremony I was um, the, the guest of honour which sounded very prestigious Ooh, I wasn't expecting that's that that's pretty cool um, I, I know, it was pretty cool um, but altogether very unexpected did you get a fancy robe? Um, well I was wearing the robe that I graduated with oh. That's um, nice. when I was at um, Glasgow Cali I got my undergraduate robe um, which was nice because I like to kind of reprise that if you will <laughs> but um, I basically called up Rachel Simpson because I was like I've got this thing in the afternoon but I've got some time in the late morning kind of around about noon where I have to sit down and kind of do some work on some stuff is it okay if I just grab some desk space in like a dark corner of your student association just so I can work on that and Rachel was kind of like yeah, sure of course you can and then when I got there she was like I don't even know why you kind of felt I need to ask you to just popped in but I had to explain that you know it's it would be inappropriate for me just to kind of appear on your campus without asking for permission first because like I said we are delegated responsibility to represent students at the national level and fundamentally I that student associations are not accountable to NUS it's the reverse yeah I and NUS um, are accountable to our membership and to our students associations and um, who basically without their contributions democratic or financial we would not be able to exist so um, I do have to ask permission before I go on campus and so I do ask for people to kind of have me along to stuff as much as possible um, but it is frustrating not being as close to students as I used to be obviously as you'll you know as you'll remember but people listening might not have known um, when you are the vice president of volunteering development you're also the convener of clubs and societies and I was basically in charge of helping to solve the problems of and coordinate the activity of and just generally supporting 170 clubs and societies everything from yourselves the Strathclyde Telegraph all the way through to Knitters Anonymous the, you know like um, the Strathclyde University Role Playing Game Society all the way through to the Carton Club etc like there was just such a massive variety in that and even then it wasn't just club societies I would deal with it would be students who would come in and would have particular problems or particular concerns or queries and I would either direct them on to my relevant colleague or I would solve the problem or help them to solve the problem if I was the person who was best poised to do it um, you can imagine that when you are in an office in a wee kind of street off of Leith Walk um, there's not a whole lot of students kind of coming in and coming out of that office um, it's not that kind of environment and that's something also I miss about the student union yeah because obviously level 7 in the union is oh, buzzing bustling all the yeah. time all the time um, certainly at the peak times of the year September, October, November January, February yeah. um, but one of the things that is good about this job which wasn't the case in my previous role I was I don't have to fight to be political in this job I'm allowed okay. to be political right. I'm expected to be political there is this really disappointing um, 
cultural assumption about not just the vice president of volunteering development here at Strathclyde, but of activities officers across the country and various other student unions that they are the kind of quote unquote, and I'm doing air fingers for people, <laughs> um, the, um, they're the apolitical officers, they're the ones to do the club and societies, um, maybe even the sports teams, if that yeah. the size of the union means that has to be necessary. Um, and so they're kind of seen as being kind of like, you know, almost kind of Mickey Mouse positions. I mean, they're kind of like the role that just exists to do student activities. Sort of drama. Yeah, they're not, very, they're not very political. Yeah out some money have a lot of fun at freshers week and then put it on their cv and leave right. um i fought relentlessly to be political when i was an officer at strathclyde and it was difficult at times because that assumption did exist i think i was probably the first activities officer that this university had ever dealt with to such an extreme degree because i forced myself in front of them and um you know through kind of putting all the figures together for various different wins great and small I managed to extract as a consequence of my campaigning on a number of issues about £650,000 out of this university and the student union while I was an officer now most presidents don't get that in two years and I managed to get that in roughly a year and a half so like in this job I, I don't I don't need to fight to kind of be put in front of people so I can make the case for the students that I yeah. represent or for the things that I'm passionate about. Whereas when I was an officer here, I had to go away and set up the meetings and establish the groups and get all that stuff in order. But when I want to do something as NUS Scotland president, I say, right, okay, which of these 10 meetings that are coming up over the next two weeks, three weeks, will we raise of these issues at? I don't have to fight to get in front of people to talk about them. And that's refreshing, you know, yeah. it's refreshing. You get to have more debate and kind of... It's, it's fulfilling, you know, yeah. because when I was political, I did feel, you know, not through the, the intentional fault of my colleagues no. at times, but I did feel stymied at times. Kind of going a little bit off topic, but I think it's still quite interesting. You, you're clearly very busy, very involved with last year you were you're still incredibly involved with everything to do with students. Do you get any time to chill the fuck out? <laughs> well, that's actually, there's, there's a surprising answer to that question, John Anthony, um, because when I was an officer at Strathclyde, rather like I worked myself at the ground when I was an officer at this institution. And and that's not me trying to humble brag, like I shouldn't have done it, categorically shouldn't have done it. Last year's Freshers Week, um, you know, Freshers Week 2017, I'd done 96 hours in one week. 96 hours in one week. Getting up at six oh o'clock God. in the morning, you know, getting the bus in for seven to be in at eight, to meet the welcome team in the student in the student village at half past eight. So we could start moving kind of the new students were moving into the student village at nine all the way through 12. Then I'd maybe take half an hour for lunch and then I was back out doing the daytime activities and the campus tours. And then I was back out, you know, I maybe took again, maybe half an hour, 45 minutes for dinner. And then I was kind of back into it for the evening activities. Oftentimes getting a taxi home at two, three o'clock in the morning to be back in the union for half past seven, eight o'clock in the morning again. So and the reason I done that was because it was my philosophy that Freshers Week is one of the crucially it's one of the, it's, it's one of the most crucial and vital times in the life cycle of any student union. And if you get it wrong, it can have long term negative consequences. Um, if you like, because there's so many first year students there, they know that they shouldn't. They've heard that student unions and students associations yeah. and clubs and societies is a massive part of it. Freshers Week is a big deal, and the students union is at the cutting edges, at the forefront, is the driving is the driving force of any good Freshers Week any student union worth of salt was in that position. And so if you're doing everything to put on great events, if you've got a massive welcome team out there who are engaging students, being super helpful, you give your club and societies and your sports teams an opportunity to shine, then it means that the impression that you make on that student when they are in first year will last them all the way through their next however many years at the institution. Yeah. That's why I dedicated so much time to Freshers Week. And it wasn't just Freshers Week when I would do that. I spent 
like you just talk to Cammy, everyone's favourite doorman in the student union. And when I was speaking to Cammy, um, like one thing that he would notice, or like um, or he would attest to at the very least, is that I would come into the union maybe not as early as I should have done most days. I put my hands up to that. Um, I would maybe come in and say I would maybe come in rather than coming in at ten o'clock, which is kind of the time that people expected the SABs to be in for roughly. Um, I would sometimes come in at eleven, but maybe two, three days out of the five day week, I would be running to Buchanan bus station at twenty past eleven to get the last bus home because I would be in the union for that length of time. Um, like so much so that towards the end of my tenure in my second year, when the chief exec managed, you know, God bless his cotton socks, like um, he, like he basically said, right, okay, no one's allowed to be in level seven office after, you know, half past, you know, whatever time it is, because we need to put everyone out because we had, like it was a CCTV thing and someone done something in the union that they, like we weren't sure what they'd done and it was always a bit weird but um, I basically was like at that time Manish I love you pal but that's my office and so long as I've got the code to the door I'll be in that office for as long as I want to be um, <laughs> like I, um, but, but it did mean that like roughly a year ago like it is exactly a year ago like November was a hellish month for me um, I ran myself into the ground um, I found myself having mental health problems I didn't look after myself um, and the Christmas break came at a rather fortuitous time because I was able to refresh for January but it just took two or three or four things to go wrong all at once because I had worked myself to a point yeah. of vulnerability that when those three or four things happened consecutively it just destroyed my capacity to work. The good thing about this job is I don't have that same problem. Last weekend I think it was GIS big teachers demonstration. We actually were watching the speech on YouTube before you <laughs> arrived. Yeah, it was quite, a- uh, it was quite um, powerful. I would say. Oh, well, th- thank you very much for saying that. Um, and by powerful, do you mean like the, the level of um, decibels going at the microphone? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, okay. I mean, you know, like, I'll take that, you know, I'll take that. How many How many people were there? Because I, that day, I was coming back from a, from a flight and I was stuck in the bus behind the whole, the whole <laughs> thing going on. It took me about 30 minutes to get from the centre town to it. Was, it's the biggest demonstration as far as anyone can tell, is the biggest demonstration that's taken place in Glasgow since I think 1984 wow. or something like that. Okay. And that was the last time that the that EIS ran a massive teachers' pay demonstration. So, it so bigger to, than the bigger than the independent stuff. Then I was in George Square on Sorry. the Saturday before the independence vote in 2014. That was bigger. Okay. as far as I could tell and again it's not scientific this yeah. is me kind of you know standing at one end of George Square and looking out across the space um, The pro- and, and I can say that with reasonable confidence because I was on the stage with the rest of the speakers I had a much better yeah. perspective of what, how full the square was and we were three, four, five, six speakers into the programme and if you looked over your shoulder at the right hand side sorry I'm not going to look over my shoulder at the right hand side and probably couldn't be heard on the microphone <laughs> when you looked over your shoulder at the right hand side um, you could still see people streaming into George Square at just as kind of dense and just as dense a kind of you know line as when we were coming in initially um, from Queen Street and and into George Square my sister was there my sister's in her first year of non-probational um, our first non-probational year as a teacher in mm-hmm. South Lanarkshire and she was really excited she was at the demonstration she's a teacher she's in a trade union me and my sister have always been in a very trade union focused family and she was like oh when you speaking I'm nearly there um, and again we were five or six speakers in and I was like I'm not next but the one after that where are you oh at Karen Cross that was how big it was we had people speaking and there was still people waiting to leave Kelvin Grove Park that's how big the demonstration was there was about as far as anyone can tell um, um, there was about 30,000 people overall involved in that yeah. day not sure how many made their way to George Square and stayed there it was probably at least 10-15,000 so, I would say but like overall there was 
several tens of thousands of people involved wow. and if that's how if that's the kind of thing where I have to kind of work on a weekend then I'll work every weekend yeah. you know what I mean <laughs> because that was that was an absolute buzz by the way that was that was class I'll, I'll never I don't think I'll ever make a speech like that in my life again it was incredible is, is that the uh, the biggest crowd that you have oh, ever country mile in? Yeah. absolute country mile yeah sorry by a country mile yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm not just, you know, inaccurately describing it as a unit of measurement, which is yeah. not exactly the most formal unit of measurement in the world. But, but I digress. But when you, like, sign up for the job or you campaign for the job, did you think you'd have to be doing a lot of, like, public speeches? Yeah, like, that's something that you would usually expect. I think it's interesting. NUS as an organisation, NUS Scotland, sorry, um, as an organisation, or part of the wider NUS UK organisation, is smaller than most people would think it is. But the reason that people probably have an idea that we are bigger than we are and so far as resourcing and capacity and all that kind of stuff is because we get so much done and we are such a massive voice in the sector. Um, I didn't fully appreciate it until I came into the job, but now that I'm in it, I fully realise just how in demand NUS is from our allies and our stakeholders in the sector. I have a regular quarterly meeting with the most senior civil servants in the Scottish Government in the education area. I have you know relatively regular engagements with the Minister for further, and ha- further education, higher education in science um, I'm never out of the you know the, the University of Scotland building I'm at two or three Scottish funding council meetings you know you know in a maybe given two or three month period and these are the people who on behalf of the government dish out hundreds of millions of pounds and yeah. not just the education sector but, but beyond that so I knew there would be a lot of meetings and stuff like that involved, but that does also then come with a lot of requests as you have asked around kind of public speaking and a lot of public engagements and you know, a, a childhood in musical theatre kind of bashes stage fright out of you quite quickly. So I don't get it really, but um, I will admit to being slightly perturbed by this by the crowd size on the EIS demonstration. I was not prepared for the size of for the size of the crowd that I was about to be speaking in front of. Um, so I was a little bit surprised, but it was um, but it was a buzz, and you just kind of you just have to kind of feel the moment, you know. And it was it was incredible. And, um, and I was there the day I was like um, just passing by, and the crowds are mental. I want to ask, I genuinely don't know much about this um, and I think a lot of our students won't know much about it either but I think they'll be be subjected to it because it's gonna, it's been a bit in the media. I want to ask about the debt and Mm. what's going on with that. So just in case anybody doesn't know, The Guardian had an article last week about NUS being three million pounds in debt. Mm-hmm. Um, and being on the verge of bankruptcy. Okay, so just to clarify some terms, um, we're not three million pounds in debt. We have a three million pound deficit, okay. which is an important differentiation. Not to be kind of you know pay a bit, but it's an no, 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 no. It's an important difference. Um, essentially, um, the extent to which I can offer up a huge amount of information about this um, is um, limited to some degree. But what I can say um, is everything which is already kind of out there and you know the media and I can help to clarify certain points of it because um, it has been reported incorrectly in some publications okay. often times willingly slow or intentionally so um, especially if you look at kind of who originally got their hands on the story like Guido Fox for example which is not exactly you know, the most progressive publication and therefore a great ally of the progressive movement that is the shit movement um, but essentially um, you know we have found ourselves to be in roughly about three million pounds in deficit um, and we are looking at, um, we're taking measures which need to be taken at this point in time to make sure that that three million pound deficit is addressed as much as we can in the immediate term to ensure that we are financially sustainable as an organization um, and to ensure that we are 
in a position where we are still able to kind of fight for students in the way that we know we need to. Um, because NUS as an organisation is almost 100 years old. Yeah. And as I said already, you know, like I'm just, uh, if you, um, we've already we've been involved in some of the most in, important changes that have taken place in society in those last 100 years as our kind of part of the kind of, you know, the cutting edge of the wider progressive movement in the country. It's an, too important an organisation to go anywhere. And so we're doing everything we possibly can to make sure that it remains viable. And that means that we've got two phases. One is called getting to safety. Um, and this is the period where we're currently looking at how we can kind of um, make the savings that are required um, and be smarter about our finances in such a way that we can deal with the immediate problem in front of us. And then we have the second part of it, which is the longer term reform section. And that is where we look at kind of democratic governance and financial reform within the organization to ensure that we are covering all of those different bases and making sure that we um, are fit to fight for the future, basically. Yeah, the three million pounds, like it, it seems like a lot, but mm-hmm. there's how many students are sort of under the scope of NUS? Like it's a majority of students in 500,000. Like that's just in Scotland. So. Yeah, there's, there's between 500 and 550,000 students in Scotland um, who are, you know, represented by NUS Scotland. There are only four institutions in the country, for example, that are not part of NUS. The other 30 in Scotland are are members of NUS Scotland. Um, And across um, the UK, um, there's over 600 student unions, college and university and small specialists who are part of NUS. Um, And my colleague, the national president, Shakira, um, she represents over 7 million people across the country um, in that regard, as do my vice presidential colleagues at NUS UK. Um, And so when you think about it in that regard, um, we represent an absolutely gargantuan constituency within the UK and within Scotland, wherever we are, Wales, Northern Ireland, etc. Um, so, you know, like the job that, and like I said also as well previously, you know, we are in high demand in Scotland and across the whole country and wherever we operate for our input, for our guidance, for our, you know, our insight. And we are viewed as being thought leaders in most parts of the education sector um, when it comes to things pertaining to students and the Scottish Government doesn't make a move on education policy without talking to NUS Scotland first. We're always involved early and involved meaningfully in any conversation that they want to have about any issue, whether that's you know student support, whether that's mental health, whether that's gender-based violence, whatever it might be. So there is an there, there's an obligation for us to get this organisation to safety and reform it in such a way that we will then be able to kind of sustain ourselves into the future because the real difference that we make to the lives of students, whether that is the £21 million of extra funding that we won that will go into the pockets of some of Scotland's most poor and most vulnerable students or the 80 extra counsellors that are going to be rolled out across Scotland's colleges and universities which will help us to plug part of the gap that exists in the mental health crisis that exists among students. Those were things that we won they wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been for us. And as a consequence of that, um, we've got an obligation to make sure that we exist and we continue to fight for those things. Is this something that students should be worried about? Or is it something that has, is it something you feel is is more under control than we would believe from these falsely kind of written media pieces that we've read online because oh, from from students perspective all we know is what we've seen online so and look i don't want to understate it yeah it's a massive challenge and it's going to cause a huge amount of disruption in how nus currently operates and how we currently function there is no disputing that yeah. it's going to be a difficult process but one of the things that i think is really important to note about where we are at the moment is that i do have faith both because you know 
I have I have faith because I know that other people in the organisation, the whole organisation, and the vast majority, I believe, of kind of student union officers and chief executive um, and chief executives across the country believe that NUS plays a really important role, not just at the national level to influence policy, but plays a really important role in leading the student movement and helping to kind of you know raise the aspirations of students associations and student unions across the country. And I also have faith because um, we've seen an unparalleled level of um, an unparalleled level of consensus amongst full-time officers at the UK level. Now, this might, God, if a lot of this stuff about NUS Scotland alone is new to your listeners, then a lot, anything about NUS UK, yeah. which is a different kettle of fish, will be even more new and even more distant. <laughs> but just to kind of provide a, a very brief kind of, you know, like insight, NUS UK historically has been at times quite a factional organisation. And one of the things about factions is that they're not often very good at working together. As a consequence of the seriousness of this issue, all of the full, basically all of the full-time officer team across the UK, and there are at the moment 19 of us. There is an unparalleled um, and totally um, unpredicted level of consensus amongst people with very different approaches to different issues, um, and who come from those different factional groups that I described earlier, um, who have come together to basically kind of note the seriousness of this and work together closely and in, in a very real way to actually help address the problem that is in front of us. I have faith that we will see our way over this challenge and well beyond it, um, but it will be difficult. So we've got these quick fire questions that we've been sort of asking everyone just as just to finish it up. Go for it. Um, Hit me. What music are you listening to at the moment? Um, collegiate acapella, but that's not a momentary thing. That's something I do all the time. Okay. Okay. What? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Yeah. I'm glad you asked. Yeah. Collegiate acapella is basically like, um, and, and it sounds wild, like it's like basically acapella is basically singing without any kind of musical yeah. accompaniment. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like, you know, that might think, it's, you might think about your, you know, your granny's church choir or your, 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 your cousin's community choir when you think about that. That's not what this is. Um, it's like, so there's like a big competition that happens in America and the UK is part of it as well as a region um, every single year. Um, and basically it's where all these kind of like, mind-blowingly good acapella groups um, from all across America and the UK and other places kind of, you know, compete um, and, you know, there's like, you know, the stuff they're able to do just with the human voice would absolutely blow your mind. It's unreal. It's absolutely unreal. Um, it's, you know, everything from like, you know, like bass to beatboxing, you know, dubstep, the stuff they're able to fit in there would, would blow your mind. Like SoCal Vocal um, are amazing. The Nor'easters are amazing. The Faux Paz, which is spelled Faux but Z at the end. Amazing, sorry, I swore. But, um, but, but, but like, go listen to them; they're absolutely great. Um, is it like a is it like an album that you can listen to on Spotify? Oh, or do you have... It's all the place. Okay, right. Right. and like, and even then, like, you'll maybe and, like. And what's that called? Collegiate ap- it's acapella. Like a collegiate acapella. Okay. I am a fan. That's a good answer. <laughs> Uh, okay, so the next question we've got: recommend a film. First of all, have you had time to see a film in the last year? <laughs> He's going to say no, and this is going to go in the last year. Like, when was it? Yeah, anything. God, like I've watched like movies, but like they're not like new movies. Okay. Like, um, they're, they're, like, and I can't remember the last time I was in the cinema. Like, have you got a movie recommendation? Yeah, give us a give, a, a give one of our students a, a movie recommendation. Because what movies they always go back to? Um, well, for a long time, I always go back to Moulin Rouge because it's class. But um, <laughs> I think uh, like. I'm interested in kind of like kind of like historical films and stuff like that, um, and you know I don't read any of this too much um, about kind of you know other proclivities, um, but um, the wind that shakes the barley is just oh it's such a powerful piece of cinema it's incredible um, it's basically the story about um, the uh, kind of 
the, his, the kind of the recent recent ish history of Ireland and like you know when it during kind of like um, you know the, the wars of independence um, and kind of the ensuing period of disruption which happened in the immediate aftermath and how it kind of um, the, the role that the, you know the British state played um, and all that process and then the um, the schisms which were just rife across the country like you know like brother against brother family mm-hmm. against family um, as a consequence of the you know the furious you know like you know contest between whether we're happy with just having a Republic of Ireland in the south and then like this northern section still part of the rest of the UK and it's just it's it's a genuinely it's a movie which kind of centres around kind of you know like two brothers and it's a genuinely moving piece of cinema Um, the next question we've got here is what does the NUS president of Scotland do to let his hair loose I think we, we we like to frame it this way because obviously I have no hair, so I like yeah, to imagine. Yeah, and, and, and mine's is diminishing rapidly. Um, <laughs> I'm, not sure the, I'm, not, I'm not sure the microphones can like can, can like pick it up. But, like there's a very very strong wind occurring outside, and so like and so like I have to be careful because my hair's you know diminishing so quickly that if I go out there, it's just going to like blow away. You know? uh, like, so what what do you what what hobbies do you have? Do you have a hobby outside of activism? Um. Yeah, and yeah, just maybe don't spend as much time on them as I should for you know hashtag self care all the rest. Of yeah, um, but um, fashion you said. Is that- I'm interested in fashion, but that's just that, that's more of like a, a that's more like kind of like a a, 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 a daily kind of like a, a, a daily religion if you will sort of, of sorts. <laughs> um, you know, you know, I do I do I do make an effort. You know, yeah. like, you know, like shoes, shorts you know like all, all the rest of it you know I've got, I think I've got 75 pocket squares um, and about 70 odd ties yeah um, it's, 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 it's totally unnecessary totally unnecessary but I do it anyway for the, for the love of it you know but um, that's just like a day to day thing but my main hobbies would probably constitute is being um, like singing like I sing with a choir um, okay uh, it's like, but it, like, even then I can't have it just be like a regular choir um, or like a, it's a community music organisation called okay. Sensational Community Music and you know I know your granny's community choir you know what I mean like we were the first people to sing in the hydro back in 2013 that's cool. um, We've raised like loads and loads and loads of money for you know for charities and you know St Andrews Hospice, um, you know Chas, the Children's Hospice Association of Scotland, um, and, you know and then some and then some. Um, and we recently like not me but some of my fellow members of the choir um, sang um, with Amy McDonald um, uh, when they kind of when she did like a big kind of album release thing like I think it was in Good Morning Britain. So it was like on British telly's it was all across the country um, wow. and my choir were in Central Station singing live with her which was That's pretty cool. nifty oh, yeah. um, and my other hobby would probably be kind of um, I would probably concentrate as gaming whether that is kind of like you know like just like video gaming or whether that's kind of like tabletop gaming um, so um, like me and my mates you know like one of the things I'll do just to like really kind of like chill out yeah. um, we'll be just we'll just like we'll go online and we'll just play whatever it is what are you playing at the moment? Um, not a tremendous amount like yeah. my, 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 my computer kind of died for three and a half months okay. like, you know, so it's like PC gaming then. Yeah, yeah, PC yeah. gaming, like you know, like solid state drives have a tendency to just sometimes decide that they're just they're just kind of bothered anymore. They just kind of call it quits, um, and so that's what they've done. Um, so I went for three or four months without that. Um, so I kind of only got my computer back up and running about a week and a half, two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, but me and my me and my mates have played many different things, um, just like silly wee games, like duck game, like various different you know kind of like um, you know, fantasy based games, like multiplayer yeah. games, all that kind of stuff. And um, I think I've like gone. I think I've got over. 500 hours on Skyrim for example oh, yeah. um, uh, you know just because and that was you know and that's not counting the hundreds of hours I had on Playstation 4 Playstation 3 before um, I got it on PC years ago um, you know etc etc so like that's the kind of video gaming um, there's not a game that I'm currently like super duper into okay. I did return to World of Warcraft um, very briefly about 3 or 4 months ago before my computer died and sometimes I will indulge myself for a little bit of nostalgia right next quick fire <laughs> question <laughs> Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Quick fire questions. Okay. Uh, 
we, we've only got four left. Yeah, don't worry. And these are these are the shorter ones. We've got what was the last text you sent? Now, last time Matt came on the podcast, he said it was confidential student information that he couldn't tell us. And we don't know whether or not that was But is he, is he like James Bond shouldn't present? Exactly, yeah. Like, yeah the man behind Trilly. the Paisley shirts. <laughs> the man behind the... God, last message that I sent. Is this so... Let me... Is this an Instagram? Is that Facebook? Is that Anything. Text? Anything. Oh, yeah. We, we said text know. and then Matt made fun of us for only using uh, 90s pop culture references. So, yeah. Messenger, mm. whatever. <laughs> Snapchat. Like, yes, my last BBM that I sent. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, you kids these days with your iPhones. I remember when it was BlackBerry. I'm not going to relate it now because I've just demonstrated how utterly embarrassing a human being I am. Um, yeah, no, I think the last one that I sent, or one of the last ones that I sent that I can find, um, was a response to a Facebook story from my friends who's in Berlin at the Ooh, moment, and she is at the museum in Berlin where they have the scale replica model of the the Babylonian gates. Ooh. And I've always seen that because I'm fascinated by ancient cultures, like ancient Egypt, ancient Babylon, all that kind of stuff. Like big, big, big love, love history. Then I ended up studying it, but I did for a bit when I done my undergrad at, at, at GCU. Like, and she was in the museum in Berlin where they have the scale replica model of the gates of Babylon. And it's the gate of Babylon, which was made with like, you know, glazed blue bricks and this really bright kind of cobalt hue and like, you know, like covered in various different pictures and images and kind of, you know, writing and mythos and all that kind of stuff. And I would love to go and see that in person. I'm going to Berlin in January. I booked a two day, oh, 10 pound wow. flight return. Oh, Black yeah. Friday? Black Friday. <laughs> Thank you. Like, like, so like, Ryanair deals are dangerous. I can remember tail end of 2016, I was sitting actually like, you know, 12 or 13 floors immediately below where we're sitting just now in the, in the Matricians Association. Um, and I was sitting looking at Ryanair flights and um, I managed to pick up like a return to Warsaw for like 25 quid. Amazing. And I was like, and, and that was that was because Trump had only just won the election at that point. And they were like, um, Trump might have won the election, but we can cheer you up with some cheap flights. And it was like, <laughs> how quickly did someone at Ryanair pull together that market and get it? Was it was already well done, rude. because I appreciate that. Yeah. And yeah. Because because they got me, they yeah. got me. I was And I went to Warsaw for another four or five days off the back of that um, in early December, which was class. Yeah. So, so yeah. I've never been to Warsaw. Oh, you need to go to Warsaw. It's Amazing. It's amazing. Anyway, sorry, next quick fact. <laughs> next quick fact. <laughs> Describe yourself in three words. <clears throat> three hmm. words. Let's see if he uses any of the same ones that Matt used. Uh -huh. See, this is a hard one. I think you know that. That's why you've asked, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I don't think I, I can't be described in three words. That's and, a fact. And I know that, and, and I'm pretty sure that the rule of radio, which apply, will also apply to podcasts, that, you know, silence is death. So yeah. I can't, you know, spend too much. Well, like, you know what? We're taught as journalism students, I'm a journalism student, we're taught uh, to leave deadly silence in interviews to force the person to speak. Oh, so I'm just going to make this awkward. I mean, yeah, you no, can... and like, and like, you can see how effective it is. Well, you know, so no one is the pleasure me to talk, as has been clearly evidenced by this whole freaking podcast. Um, <laughs> like, three words to describe me. Um, I don't know. I really don't. Um, That's actually three words. I, I don't, don't know. Um, I, I'm a very reflective person. Okay. Um, I think a lot about what I have done and what impact it might have on people. Um, uh, I'm a very, I would probably seem a very determined person. Um, if I get something in my head, I kind of want to pursue it. And obviously that kind of helps me in my job because I'm determined to kind of see something through, you know, I'll campaign hard for it. Um, and I would probably kind of say on top of that, um, I'm quite, I'm quite an empathetic person. And again, not like humble by anything, yeah. but like, you know, like, um, like I do like, 
when I hear about people's genuine hardships in life, it's not something I just think about and say, oh, that's really awful, we should do something about that. Like, I genuinely get really, really upset about it. Yeah. And one of the things that makes me angrier than anything in the whole world is when I see or hear stories of just complete injustice and how it's ruining or seriously jeopardising people's lives. Um, and that just, I can't, I just I, I can't cope with it like um, it just it gets me mad but when you combine that with my determination yeah. that madness can and that kind of you know frustration that anger can be channeled you to, quite yeah. constructively so yeah I would say that I would say reflective empathetic and determined I think that's Red. a pretty good that's a pretty good three three word answer that's really good I mean I didn't want to just come out with like handsome charisma like, what was it Matt said time. perfect no he said he said because <laughs> like, we spent half the podcast talking about paisley so he was like paisley political paisley perfect and perfect yeah, yeah. well um, like I'm surprised two of those words went to Shirley and Temple because um, you know when he like because like, obviously for years like well not obviously for years ever since he's built up this persona for himself um, like, you know like President Crowley rather than like the Matt that came before um, Matt always used to have like you know quite you know like you know like kind of um, you know kind of short hair that was furiously gelled at the spikes oh. um, and now since he's become president he's kind of letting it just all be natural and blonde and curly we've and not seen any and of so these so I, I always contend that he's kind of his hair's a lot but like you know kind of blonde and curly but like Shirley Temple so oh, President it's a, Temple it's a good President comparison. Temple <laughs> okay uh, the second last one we've got is what is your favourite place to eat in Glasgow oh that's a hard one Glasgow's got so much good food in it um, best kebab <laughs> I have actually eaten in best kebab before. I have, and I, I, in my whole first year at uni, I was in Chancellor's Halls, and every night out where I ever ate anything from best kebab, I struggled to walk home. The amount of pain that my stomach was in, Ooh, like wow. genuine pain. Well, that's um, that's that's brutal. Um, yeah. I think <laughs> um, I had pakora from there. Empathetic. Did not have the same experience. I've only ever had pakora, okay. and I can. Right. Um, but the, the best place. Um, one of the places that gets me really, really excited is um, Pizza Punks. Oh, Pizza Punks on it. Street. I don't like it. Oh, me. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't get you. Um, so, like, historically, I was a Paisano purist, right? I was like Paisano all the way. Oh, yeah. You know, it is, it is, you know, it is the ambrosia of the gods, it is the nectar of the divine, that is the place to be. But then someone coaxed me to go to Pizza Punks, and how can anyone pass up? And look, the bases are just as good as Paisano. Have you been to Mozza? Oh, I I've to not been to Mozza. Mozza's my jam. Mozza's my jam. Another of them, another of my favourite kind of student internee people, forward slash union involved people, Yassine Benrahal, oh, yeah. swears by Mozza, but I do love pizza punks. Who cannot, who cannot love opening up but a simple tenor and in return having unlimited toppings? But, who cannot but, 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 say but, but, no to that? I argue that there is only a set amount of toppings that you need on a pizza. That's yeah. fair. That, that's a fair point. So, like, that being said, do you, do you I, think, mm. I think there's an argument that mozza for five pounds before five o'clock five, I went is unbeatable. Five pounds pound, uh, before five pm yesterday, and uh, you got a, a random lucky dip. Which I went for. Ooh. Got to say, it was really nice. I had number uh, thirteen. Number thirteen. Oh, yeah. you've been? I've been too many times. <laughs> it was awesome. That's the first time I've been. Go to Mozza. So is it kind of Neapolitan style pizza yeah. as well? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's where Pizza Punks differs. So I need to give Pizza Punks another try because I think the time that I went, it just opened and the service was pretty crap. Well, uh, they, they, they've got the same big kind of you know like you know like you know stone stone base oven yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Like the, the pizza bases are almost identical, really, to like you know your Paisanos or a Damasio Mozza because yeah. it's the same style it's of pizza. It's all the same. Yeah. But 
Do I want to hear my absolute monstrosity of a pizza punk creation? Go on. What I actually get? I have got. Yeah. But this is on. what you actually get. This is what I actually get okay. for the te- for like when I offer up, but a simple, a, if, a if humble, we, a, 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 a trifling ten pounds. I'm not saying the ten pounds is trifling, by the way, because a lot of students struggle. If so, we so. go, but um, but like but like but legitimately, um, if you go, you will be disgusted. So can can we request a Liam McCabe and they'll know what we're talking about? They will have no clue what you're talking about. <laughs> but if you get what I'm about to tell you, then you go on, Liam. then you then go you on, horrified Liam. that you're ordering it, but you will not regret it. So it's a sourdough base. Mm-hmm. Barbecue sauce base rather than mm-hmm. um, tomato sauce. I've already lost about fifty percent of people. No, my favorite. But, but those fifty percent of people have lost. Mm-hmm. I don't care about um, because clearly barbecue ba- sauce based pizzas is not a variation in pizza; it's an evolution in pizza. Yeah. And I'm glad you agree. There's some yeah. a man of taste. I argue, yeah. but I I have oh, you're Italian, a philistine so. then, great. Um, <laughs> absolute philistine. Um, so um, sourdough base, sourdough dough, sourdough dough. That's okay. Sourdough barbecue sauce base, mozzarella, obviously the smoky kind of cheese as well though. But it's Gamarsa. It's Gamarsa, yeah. And the toppings that I would usually get are Iron Brew Barbecue Pulled Pork. I feel sick. I've never had that. On and top macaroni of bar- cheese. Oh, <laughs> I, hope, I hope that sex sign came through. See that that like you, one went oh and one almost vomited. That is roughly kind of that. That's a good. That's reflective of my usual sample response. Okay. When I survey people about what they think about that particular combination, I feel like I can't talk because uh, uh, when Saturday three three days ago I was sitting on my couch getting ready to have some healthy chicken and sweet potatoes in the oven, and I'm scrolling through Facebook and there was an advert for a new Domino's pizza. Um, and I think if I say this and my mum hears this I'll get disowned but I had a cheeseburger pizza from Domino's yeah I've heard about the cheeseburger pizza I've not had it it was horrible don't do it to yourself what's like (laughs) so it's tomato it's like tomato sauce uh, cheese onions pickles mints meat and then like Thousand Island dressing. So it's like someone's exploded a burger on your pizza. Yeah, it tastes that like you're eating a burger. Because I, I usually get like so my the hot my, pickle, my go-to Domino's. The hot <laughs> my my Domino, my go-to Domino's is the meteor. So that's okay. the one that's got the barbecue sauce base, yeah. like um like little meatballs on it. Um, you know, uh, little meatballs, um, minced beef, pepperoni, smoked sausage, um, just like all the meat basically. Um, and like I, and I like the the ground beef on the pizza from from. The Try the cheeseburger and let me know how it goes because I I. I might have to get it without the onions because um, onions are scary. So yeah, pizza punks are my go-to. Right, so we have we've nearly hit two hours of recording. So we're going to cut it here. Yeah, and then cut it dramatically then after. (laughs) Liam, thank you very much for coming on the Strathclyde Telegraph podcast. It has been a pleasure. Thank you very much. It has been great to be here and I apologise in advance to NUS comms if I said anything wrong. (laughs) We'll put all the links below. (laughs) Fantastic. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you very much for listening to the Strathclyde Telegraph podcast. This week, starring John Anthony DeSotto, Callum Ogilvie, and very special guest, NUS President Liam McCabe. This podcast was recorded in the Strathclyde Fusion Studio in Livingston Tower. If you're interested in contributing music or anything else at all to the podcast, please email us at podcast at strathclydetelegraph.com. Podcasts from now on will be coming out every second Thursday, so make sure to tune in and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts. Thanks again, guys. Have a great week.